You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Stepp, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 128 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and we're going to talk a little Rockets basketball on this week's show. We've got Ben DeBose joining us, who covers uh, you know the Rockets, the Astros for uh, Sports Talk 790 and Locked On Rockets, a great daily podcast and Twitter feed to follow. Of course, you might remember Ben from a few months ago. Uh, we discussed whether or not the Rockets could uh, clinch the number one seed in the Western Conference, and of course, they do that. Uh, in, in, in you know just amazing fashion, uh, clinching the number one overall seed in the postseason. So the Rockets will open up playoff action here in just a couple of days. We're going to discuss uh, potential matchups for the Rockets with Ben DeBose here in just a few moments. But uh, we're not going to talk Astros this week. Shocking, I know, but the Astros are sitting at 9-2 and two right now and are off to a phenomenal start. The pitching staff for the Astros the starting rotation, I should say, has an ERA below 1.7. Justin Verlander getting the shutout on Monday night. Uh, just a great overall performance. Charlie Morton looks great. Garrett Cole looks great. Uh, Dallas Keuchel going for his first win of the season on Tuesday evening in Minnesota. But we're not going to delay much further. We're going to go ahead and get to that Ben DeBose interview. But if you want to follow our work, you can search for us on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast. Also, you can subscribe to our website. We post all of our content there uh, each day that we post an episode. So it gets pushed straight to your inbox. So be sure to check that out. But without further ado, it's time to listen to the interview and the conversation with Ben DeBose. We talk Rockets basketball for about 25 minutes. So it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew Podcast is a guy that we had on a few weeks ago to talk a little Rockets basketball, and that's Ben DeBose, who uh, you know covers all things Houston sports, primarily with uh, Sports Talk 790, Locked on Rockets, and uh, you know, a variety of different media outlets. But Ben, before we get started into you know the playoffs uh, coming up this next week, I've got to give you props because you are one of the few people that I know that actually has a 713 area code. So, uh, you know, I think that just gives you some extra credibility with Houston fans. Yeah, it's it's comfortable being a native, especially when you're going through uh, playoff runs like the Astros in last October and the Rockets down, hopefully the Astros again in a few months. I think it gives you a little bit of, I don't know if added credibility is the right word, but I would say added appreciation if you're a local <laughs> and you've been and you've been through the ups and the bads, uh, the ups and the downs. Many of the uh, downs were prevalent until the last few years. Yeah, I, w- I would say that uh, I'm a little bit jealous because, you know, I grew up in the Houston area, but I have a 254 area code, which is uh, from Waco. Yeah, it- it's it's really tragic, but uh, great to have you back on the show. And, you know, last time we spoke, uh, you know, the Rockets were sort of in a battle with the Warriors for that number one seed. And, and now just, you know, three three weeks later, things have completely shifted. The Rockets have clinched the number one seed in the West, clinched the number one seed in the NBA throughout the postseason. And uh, I don't think that Rockets fans could have been happier with the outcome of the regular season. It's pretty crazy because we talked less than two months ago. I was thinking about that earlier today. And we were still talking about a race in which – I think I said you'd probably have to favor the Warriors. The Rockets were up by, I believe, a half game at the All-Star break. And they ran out so quickly after the break, and the Warriors hit a few injuries, that the Rockets actually clenched it before the calendar turned to April, which is ridiculous. And so what's weird is that the problem for the Rockets, and I've almost never seen it before, you know, you're always worried about trying to, you know, build up. Well, at this point, 
the switch has been, I don't want to say turned off, but they certainly for the last 10 days have not been playing as hard. You've seen some absences in terms of rest games, pretty much everyone throughout the roster. But at this point, it's less about, you know, trying to play for anything in the standings. and It's more about just making sure that, hey, when the playoffs get here this coming weekend, that they're able to flip the switch after not having a competitive game for a few weeks now. And it almost is like an extra exhibition season that when the playoffs are ready to roll around, that they can flip the switch on opening night and suddenly start taking the games as seriously as they did in that February and March stretch when they pretty much couldn't lose. And it felt like every night was an NBA Finals intensity type game. Now they've got to find that again. And that's a you know, it's a good challenge to have, but it's a unique challenge because certainly the Rockets having won 50, uh, 64 games, excuse me, and counting, it's by far the most uh, winningest season, regular season, that is, in Houston basketball history. Yeah, you mentioned that they are resting players, and, uh, you know, Rockets fans are going to be picky about everything. Of course, the Spurs lost on April 1st, 183. They come back, beat the Wizards, uh, you know, that following Tuesday. But then, you know, they beat the Trailblazers as well, but then lose to the Thunder this past weekend. And and I don't know, maybe it's just me and the people that I follow on Twitter, but there seems to be Rockets fans that are concerned, you know, that this team is, you know, not ending the season on a high note and going into the playoffs kind of with a, I don't want to call it a losing record, but, you know, just... I don't know, they're concerned about the rest and whether or not that's actually going to be beneficial for the postseason. Why is it important that the Rockets, you know, did rest some of their players and some of the guys in the rotation so they are fully healthy in the postseason? Yeah, the Rockets are not an especially young team. That's one thing that's important to keep in mind. James Harden isn't 30, but he's piled up a lot of mileage on his body. And then you look at the role players, guys that have been so big this year, Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, they're in their 30s. So it's Trevor Ariza. So I would say they're a lot more veteran than some teams are, which make getting rest down the stretch more important, not just in terms of when they sit out, but also trying to limit the minutes to, you know, the 25 to 30 range, which might cost you a game here or there that you would, that you would otherwise win. The other thing that I would think that a lot of Rockets fans are not used to is that it's a problem that is not exclusive to the Rockets. You look back in prior years, and I don't think Golden State has been nearly themselves going into the postseason. It's something that just kind of comes to the territory if you lock up the top seed early. It's just Houston fans are used to, down the stretch of the year, having something to play for. Now, it's a fine line, and I think they'd like to have at least one solid performance these last two out on the road because Mike D'Antoni is a big believer that you know the negative value of rust is more important than the positive value of rest. So that's why while you've seen a few games, generally no one, unless they have a real injury, has sat out more than once or twice because he wants to get these guys clicking. They played really well the first half against Portland, took the foot off the gas in the second, and somewhat similar story against Oklahoma City. Maybe you don't have to play for a full 48 minutes given the standing stakes, but but I would agree with them that at least for parts, it's important for them, or at least in Mike D'Antoni's mind, it is to go in there feeling confident. Because when the Rockets are, have been at their best, which is February and March, they've been a group that takes every game so seriously. That's why they only lost once, that one game in Toronto. So it's very important, you're right, that maybe wins and losses aren't the best metric. And I think that's what Rockets fans aren't necessarily used to. But it is important at the at a bare minimum to see your eight or nine core rotation players each feeling pretty good about themselves heading into next weekend. Yeah, and kind of on that note, uh, I don't know if you were tweeting about it on Sunday or on Monday, but you were discussing the fact that, you know, there are, 
you know, Rockets fans out there, or maybe not Rockets fans, but people that are that follow the NBA that have criticized D'Antoni, criticized the Rockets, saying that, you know, they play well in the regular season, you know, with Harden leading the way, but the postseason, they tend to falter. And I thought you made a really good point that said in the past 13 years, the only time that, you know, D'Antoni essentially hasn't met the expectations was in the uh, Western Conference Finals with Phoenix as the number one seed. But, uh, you know, why is this team different and, and, you know, going into this postseason compared to past years? Yeah, a lot of it, there's there's a statistical argument, which I would argue that the Rockets under James Harden, they have yet to lose a playoff series to a team that was worse than them in the regular season. And they've also yet to win a playoff series against a team that was better than them. The closest thing you can get, they lost a 4-5 series four years ago to Portland when both teams had identical 54-28 and 28 records. The Rockets technically had home court advantage, but they had the tiebreaker. But generally in the postseason, the Rockets have gone as they played the regular season in the Harden era. They beat the teams that over 82 games are better than, and they've lost to the teams that they've been worse than. So that's why it's hard for me to get into this whole thing about, oh, do they choke or whatever else? Well, in my opinion, the first sign of choking would be you do something different under pressure than you do in the regular season. And quite frankly, the, the results in the playoffs are pretty similar to what they have done in the regular season. And I think where this gets lost amongst a lot of people that maybe aren't Rockets fans or aren't diehards, there are some people that conflate that with giving James Harden or Mike D'Antoni a pass for every mistake. And that's not what it's meant to do. For example, the end of the Spurs series last year, it was not good. Now, personally, I'm a little more bothered by what happened down the stretch in Game 5 of that series, which was there for the taking, than I was in Game 6, which I think was just overall kind of a a no effort from the team because right. they did not believe they could win a Game 7 at San Antonio. Either way, it's a problem. And when I mentioned the fact that the Spurs were six games better than the Rockets in the regular season, had won three of the four head-to-head meetings, and for all the talk about no Kawhi Leonard in Game 6. Well, he was going to be there in Game 7, and the first five games of that series, which Kawhi Leonard played in, the Spurs won three of them. So it's not to say that Harden deserves a pass, or the, or the Rockets, or D'Antoni, or anyone, because they don't. But what's important is you need to understand where the problem is. And the reason I kind of push back on that Game 6 example, it's like, okay, let's imagine, let's flip the script entirely. Let's say instead of losing by 30-whatever because they were just sort of lifeless, let's say the Rockets beat the Kawhi leonard Spurs by 15, 20 points and pushed that series to a Game 7 in San Antonio in which Kawhi would have played. Is there anyone that really thinks that in that scenario the Rockets would have won the Game 7? Right. I don't. I don't because know Because the Spurs are the better – yeah, the Spurs are the better team all year long. So at that point, it's not saying that Game 6 should be forgotten about – but it's like when you're trying to fix it, game six is not the problem. The problem are all the other reasons why that even if it went to a game seven, you would not have had confidence in them to win it. And, of course, that's why in the off season they went out, they added Chris Paul, which is the second playmaker. They also got better defensively. You know, they were a good offensive team last year, middle of the pack defensively. But then by adding Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, Luke Bob, Mute, they've taken their defense from middle of the pack to top ten, at times top five. So if you were to just listen to the hot takes, about what happened in Game 6 last year, you would have thought what the Rockets need to do, they either need to get James Harden a psychologist or they need to, (laughs) you know, prepare for a future in which he's not the best player because 
Sauer, you had so many takes from the Skip Bayless types of the world saying you can't win a title with James Harden as your best player. Fortunately, the Rockets didn't do that because, you know, Gerald Murray's pretty good at, at seeing the forest for the trees. And so, you know, that's what I keep going back to. With, and I think a lot of people don't get It's not that you're giving them a pass for game six because it's a problem. It's just when you talk about trying to fix it, which is what matters, I mean, they could have won game six, and ultimately I don't really think it changes the outcome that much at all. So the question is, how do you change the outcome? And so that, I think, is what's been better this year because it's been the most balanced team that they've had in the James Harden era because really all their teams had some sort of glaring flaw. And, of course, it's reflected in the record of the reason they haven't won 60-plus games before. But, you know, the team that lost to Portland, they were very deficient defensively. That showed up in the playoffs. The team that got to the Western Conference Finals in 2015 but lost to the Warriors. The defense was better. It wasn't great. That was when they had hashtag playoffs white. But offensively, they just didn't really have that many playmakers, and especially after Beverly and Mati Yunus got hurt. I mean, you had Jason Terry and Pablo Prigioni, two guys in their upper 30s. Those were your point guards. I mean, it was just crazy. They just didn't have enough playmakers. And then last year, the offense was good, but as we said earlier, it was a very middle-of-the-pack uh, pedestrian defensive team. So this year, it's the most balanced they've ever been, and you can't ever assume anything until it, it happens. But I think that's why, you know, if you're following the Rockets, that's why you feel pretty good about them relative to prior years is that you have more balance, both sides of the ball, diversity of attack, all the different things you can think of. It's just a, uh, it, it's a deeper and more, I, I would diverse is the key word, like the key buzzword I keep going back to team than any we've seen before in the Harden era. Yeah, I think they're a lot more fun to watch, especially, you know, and what they've been able to do on the defensive side of the ball this year, especially with Harden, who's, you know, taken a lot of flack with, you know, dead spin videos showing him being lackadaisical on, you know, defense in the past, but, you know, he's really stepped up his game, and uh, you know, the Rockets defensively have been for the better part of the season, a top 10 defensive team in the league, and that's something that, uh, you know, Dan Tony will tell you you know, during several interviews, but you know, the Rockets, they do close the season with two games on the West Coast against the Lakers and the Kings. Uh, and most of the NBA just has about, you know, one to two games left. And I can't think of a season in my lifetime in which we've had so much parity going into this last week of the season with so much uncertainty. I mean, we've got New Orleans sitting there at 46 and 34, and then Minnesota or going down to Denver at 45 and 35. You've got five teams separated by a game with two left to play. I mean, this is insane that the Rockets, with a week left as the number one seed, have no idea who they're going to play in the first round. Yeah, I've never never seen anything like it. And I guess it's to the converse of the, you know, all the prior examples we talked about. If they lose to any of these teams, then yeah, that one definitely is a choke because there's so much parity, but there's no one other than the Warriors and the Raptors that is close to the Rockets' level. So if they don't get it done in the playoffs, then yeah, it's completely fair to hold the mirror up because – there's a lot of pretty good teams, but everyone has a glaring flaw. You can look at Minnesota and Denver promising offensive teams, a lot of scoring. The defense just isn't there. New Orleans, after losing Boogie Cousins, there's not enough firepower even after uh, considering Anthony Davis. San Antonio, Utah, very good teams, but the ceiling limited offensively, particularly as far as assuming there's no Kawhi Leonard. So everyone else has – a glaring flaw on one side of the ball, at least. And it, it makes for a lot of parity. Uh, I think all those teams being in the mid to upper 40s in wins feels exactly right for what they are. But as far as the Rockets are concerned, it, it, it's a pretty unique opportunity 
because all of a sudden, on paper, there should be only two teams that can beat you four times out of seven in a playoff series. You know, the larger sample size should favor the better teams. So now it's just up to the Rockets to go out there and, you know, execute the same way they've done over 82 games. In the bottom half of the Western Conference, are there any teams in your mind that, I'm not going to say upset the Rockets in the first round, but can give the Rockets matchup nightmares? Yeah, I would start with Oklahoma City. I, I think that game on Saturday, you know, it's partly the Rockets not having a lot to play for, but the Thunder in individual games, they can be pretty daunting. There's a reason they beat the Rockets Saturday. There's a reason they've beaten the Warriors twice. They went into Toronto a few weeks back and won by double digits. I don't believe they're consistent enough to beat a Houston or Golden State four times out of seven, but with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony on a rare night that he's feeling it, which he was on Saturday, Stephen Adams in the middle, they can be very long and intimidating defensively. They have enough playmakers to get just enough points offensively. And they're the one team, I keep going back to the lack of balance, they're the one team that on both ends of the court, you've seen them put it together. Now, at some point, you are who you, who you are. They have had so many peaks and valleys over 82 games that ultimately it, it's hard for me to see them suddenly flipping the gear in the, in the playoffs and becoming a juggernaut that everyone thought they would be in the preseason. At some point, there's a reason for the inconsistency. Nonetheless, when you're the Rockets, of course, it's not just about winning a series. So you should be favored no matter what. You also want to do it, hopefully, while expending a lot less energy, stress, all that stuff than, say, the Warriors do, who's your biggest competition. So that's why, to me, the closest thing to balance in those six teams, you know, four through nine, would be Oklahoma City. I think we saw a good example of that in the loss on Saturday night. And so keep them as far away from the Rockets as possible. They're the one team I don't I wouldn't say they beat them four times out of seven, but they're daunting enough that it's at least uh, it, it's at least something to to fear. And I would rather them be on the Golden State side of the bracket. Who is the ideal matchup for the Rockets in the first round? I would say Minnesota or Denver, because I think with the Rockets, now they are a pretty good defensive team, but I think with James Harden and Chris Paul, it's one of the most efficient offenses in NBA history, by some metrics, the most efficient. And they're always an offense-first team. And if you can't stop their plan A, then ultimately I don't think you can beat them. And Minnesota and Denver, two teams that are very offense-first. There's a lot of playmakers. There's good systems, but they just have no real way to stop the spread pick and roll, the isolations, the various things the Rockets do with James Harden and Chris Paul. I just think it's really hard to beat a team as good as the Rockets if you can't take them out of their comfort zone. Because however well Minnesota and Denver might play offensively, it's hard to imagine any team that wants to make things a shootout beating the Rockets four times out of seven. So that's why I would say those teams, to me, match up the best. One other slight factor to consider, I would say, is compatibility between round one and round two. For example, like if you're you're on the Portland side of the bracket for round two, Maybe it's a good thing to draw a team like Minnesota or Denver that plays a fairly similar pace and style as opposed to, say, you're on the Utah side of the bracket. Utah looks like they'll be either three or four in the standings. Then maybe it's a little bit better to play San Antonio in the first round because San Antonio is, you know, like Utah, a little slower, a little less pace. So I wouldn't say that's the leading consideration, but besides just individual teams, that's the other thing to think about. I think ideally you'd like your round one opponent 
to play a similar style to round two because the Rockets, you know, it's not just about one series. It's trying to get through uh, four of those. So that's the other thing to consider. But in terms of teams, yeah, I would say Minnesota or Denver because if you can't stop the Rockets doing what they do best, then it's tough for me to see you beating them four times out of seven. I don't care who your offense is. I think it's kind of odd that we've spent 15 minutes talking about the Rockets in the postseason, but we have really yet to digest uh, the matchup that everyone wants. And that's, of course, Golden State, Houston, and the Western Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, it's all come down to health. I mean, uh, the one year in, in this, I don't know, Warriors dynasty, if you will, that they haven't won has been a year in which Steph Curry was injured against the Rockets and wasn't really the same in the postseason. And now the Warriors are going through uh, some similar concerns with uh, some knee troubles that he's been having, some ankle issues. Uh, he's likely going to miss the first round of the postseason. How much of an edge, or does that even give an edge, to the Rockets in the Western Conference? I think it does. To me, it's far from a done deal, but I think that's what makes the Rockets a slight favorite. I say slight because when you look at a team that's as talented as any in NBA history, that's won two of the last three titles and has won the Western Conference each of the last three years, it's a pretty tall order. However, the numbers don't lie over 82 games. Even before the injury wave hit Golden State, the Rockets were right there with them and won two of the three head-to-head, and that's with the Warriors team clicking on all cylinders. And you go back to that team that lost in the 2016 Finals to Cleveland, What's amazing about that Steph Curry injury, it was an MCL to his knee the same way it is right now. And, of course, back then it happened in the playoffs. The first round he slipped on Donatus Monianus' sweat, which was such a bizarre scenario. But even in that one, he was limited the rest of the way, even after missing a couple weeks coming back. And that was a grade one. This is a grade two. So it's the kind of energy, uh, the kind of injury, excuse me, that when you combine it with the instability he's had with his ankle all year long, and in this case, the MCL on one knee, the ankle on the other. So it's kind of both of those legs, not really going to be 100% that he can fully trust. It's a very slight thing in terms of the grand scheme, but it's enough because the Rockets proved, in my opinion, over the 65 games or so that both teams were healthy, that they were close enough to where that type of injury and Steph Curry being not 100%, it can switch it. And it's a big deal for Steph because – his shiftiness, how he moves from side to side, that's the difference between just making him a shooter versus what makes him an MVP candidate every year. It's it's that shiftiness. It's that quick twitch muscle fiber. It's his ability to make plays in space. I mean, yes, he will still be able to shoot. That's not going to go away. But what separates him from just just another really good shooter is, of course, how well he can separate, how well he can make plays off the bounce. And so I think that's going to be diminished. And then defensively, he's already a bit of a liability for the Warriors against the Rockets to begin right. with. We saw late in the last game between these two teams back on January 20th, the Rockets just kept trying to get Harden or to get Curry switched on to Harden and then attack. It was just a constant game of how can they punish Steph Curry because of his lack of strength. And so now you combine his lack of strength with not really being able to move laterally as well. And it's hard to see it not having an impact. I think the Warriors are still going to be phenomenally good. Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, these are all all-star caliber players for a reason. And even Steph Curry, two years ago, we talked about how he was limited. He still averaged like 26 points a game, 45% shooting, like 40% from three, down from his crazy numbers before that, but still really good in the grand scheme. So is that going to make a huge difference? I don't think it's going to look dramatically different. But in my opinion, the Rockets made it close enough over 65 games that while you know there's still a pathway for the Warriors to win, if you had to pick a favorite – I don't see how that injury doesn't make you at least 
see the Rockets on paper as a slightly better team. Now, they've got to go out there and prove it, but on paper, based on what we've seen thus far and what we know about grade two MCL injuries, I think that does give the Rockets a little bit of an edge. All right, so we're having this conversation in June, and I'm just going to kind of let you fill in some blanks here. If the Rockets do win the world championship, the third in Rockets history, in franchise history, they do it because of what? What is the storyline? Who is the X factor? How do they bring a world championship back to Houston? That is a really good question. I haven't, I have not thought of it that way before. I'm gonna say, hmm. I'm gonna say they do it because of clutch play. I think you go back to what's defined them this season, and it's been the combination of James Harden and Chris Paul. Their numbers, those two together, and. De- in situations defined as clutch, which is a five-point game either direction and under five minutes to go, their numbers have been off the chart. And it's what's noteworthy about that, it's a big flip from last year when Harden finished second in the MVP to Russell Westbrook. We can all acknowledge he's going to win it this year. But one of the reasonable knocks against him, and even as someone that was strongly in James's corner a year ago, I will admit, Westbrook had better clutch numbers. You could point out the Rockets did not have that many close games, not nearly as many as Oklahoma City, so there's a small sample size issue. But small sample size or not, the Rockets in clutch situations in the regular season last year did not really play that well. And it transferred to the playoffs because, as we mentioned earlier, that San Antonio series where I think things really went wrong for them wasn't game six. It was game five, and they had every opportunity to close out the game. They're actually up by five, which is two and a half minutes to go, and couldn't close it out. The offense got stagnant. It has not happened this year. Sometimes it's been James Harden. Sometimes it's been Chris Paul. I'm not going to say which of those will hit the ultimate biggest shot because really this year they haven't really shown a bias. It just goes to kind of who has the matchup advantage. Last week it, it was Chris Paul after the Portland comeback. They started trapping Harden like crazy. Well, that, that gave Harden, uh, gave Chris Paul, excuse me, the opportunity and he took advantage of it. So to me, it'll be less about any one player because they're going to go where the matchup is. But I think it's more, and it's in direct contrast to the Rockets of a year ago, they have been a phenomenally good team at executing late and close games when both James Harden and Chris Paul have been on the floor. And ultimately, I think that's, if they win the title, that's what does it. In these games against teams like Golden State, Toronto, maybe Cleveland, you just see the synergies between the two of them. They make more plays in the last five minutes than the opposition. It sounds simple, but ultimately I think that's the reality. So you heard it here first, clutch play in Clutch City. That will bring Houston its third championship. Uh, Ben, always great to have you on the podcast, and you're going to be doing a lot of coverage of the Rockets, uh, you know, uh, throughout the postseason uh, run, hopefully all the way through June. Uh, What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you and just keep in touch with, you know, the ins and outs and the, you know, the conversation with the Rockets? Yeah, absolutely. Twitter, of course, these days, it's by far the best way, in my opinion, to consume sports. So you you find me at Ben DuBose, find the show on there at Lockdown Rockets. That's my daily podcast covering the Rockets. And of course, you'll find links to articles that I write for Sports Lock 790. And we'll even have some Astros stuff, too, because I do freelance for uh, MLB.com as well, whenever Brian McTaggart needs me, they want to supplement for some more coverage. So in addition to the Rockets, we'll have a little bit of uh, Astros talk. But yeah, at Ben Dubose is the best way to find it, podcast articles. 
you name it, we'll have plenty of stuff in the months ahead. Yeah, I definitely wanted to talk some Astros, but you know, I just I don't know if our listeners want to you know uh, you know just make that sudden shift from Rockets to Astros. But Ben, always great to have you on the show. I hope to have you back on uh, during the postseason to break down you know the matchups as we get them. But uh, if you want to follow Ben again, it's at Ben DeBose on Twitter. Also locked on Rockets. Great content, great conversation, and you know I think great analysis and a level-headed analysis that you know not many uh, sports writers have now. So Ben, always is great to have you on the show appreciate it appreciate it thanks for having me guys you've been listening to the weekly brew 